Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 56. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to say a special thank you to Tom Wilson uh, for being on the show, episode 55. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And if you haven't listened to it, uh, please do. Uh, Tom has a lot of really good things to say and uh, is uh, very passionate, and I like that quite a bit. So uh, let's go ahead and bring in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hi, Tyler. How's it doing? I'm, I'm doing all right. Good. How are you? Good. All I'm, right. I'm all right. I'm just sitting over here. Yeah. Getting ready to talk about movies. Yeah. Well, uh, don't worry. We're about to. Is that what we're going to do? Yeah, that's the plan. Oh, good. So, um, but first things first, everybody, I've got good news for you. Old Josh here has decided to, uh, you know, embrace responsibility, do yeah. what he's been asked to do for about a year. And I'm finally going to go find my son and start paying the job. That's not it. I don't oh, my. Easy there. Um, <laughs> yes. I thought I'd reveal that. Uh, I'd, I'd premiere that information in the podcast world. And then I'd be like, Josh, sounds to me like you're something of a villain. And then I'd use that to transition us into the topic. Um, Which you're never going to guess. <laughs> uh, so, no, I'm, I'm, of course, referencing to... Uh, referencing your uh, your blog series, uh, the best of pictures. I got all inspired watching the Oscars, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta catch up. Did you get inspired watching the Oscars? It's more like guilty. Okay, yeah. there we go. Because you're like, oh, here's one more that yeah. I'm never gonna get Another to. Another one. So, but no. Uh, so you recently put up your episode about Braveheart, mm-hmm. which is going backwards. Not your episode. I'm sorry. Your blog post about Braveheart, right? Going backwards to 1995, which is where I was getting to going back, and mm-hmm. then going forwards, I was behind a year exactly mm-hmm. on the King's Speech. So that one's out. Yeah. Um, keep, I, keep an eye out for a, a blog about the artist at some point. That is in the works. So I have written part of it. Yeah. And uh, so thank you very much for for doing that. Uh, I did want to let everybody know, by the way, that uh, there might be... Not that a lot of stuff is posted on the blog anyway, but there's going to be probably a little blank, uh, I don't know, a dry spot for uh, like two weeks because I'm going to be in New Zealand. Now, Tyler, I heard you were going to Hobbiton. I will be going to Hobbiton, yes. Oh, okay. We booked the tour today. Mm. Um, and you, they, the sets are still standing and you can, uh, hop out and see, see the sights and then you get to feed like hobbits lambs. Oh, it's not the same as feeding a hobbit. No, not really. They're ravenous. Are they? I think so. Right. Isn't a big thing that they like to eat. That's smoke, true. And smoke pipe weed. <laughs> That's what it says. That's what the pipe weed and ravenous. Absolutely. It sounds like it's Cop about team. something else. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, so I apologize. There's not going to be really any, any updates probably after this episode uh, until uh, mid-March. So, But I wanted to get this out there um, for any uh, new listeners. And, and yes, uh, welcome to any new listeners, uh, anybody who found us uh, by way you. of Tom Wilson. We are, as Josh said, and I spoke over him, so I will now say it. We are glad, glad to have you. And uh, all right. So the topic for uh, today's episode is a little is different. We're not going to do the, the standard format of talking about a new film and then an old film. Uh, instead, and I'm not, re- I'm not totally sure what, what sparked this for me, was uh, we're going to discuss villains and villainy. In the movies specifically. Yes, I suppose so. Although there's some overlap between uh, movies and real life here. Um, but yeah, and, and I, think, I think what sparked it for me was, oddly enough, the movie... Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. and I'll, A Game I'll, of Thrones? What was that? Never mind. Oh, thank you. Sherlock Thrones, Game of Shadow Play. <laughs> Something like that. All right, we're going back to the beginning. All right. So, Hello, everyone. Welcome to what, more than one lesson episode 50-something. No, 56. You yeah. said it this time. Is that your impre- is that your impression of me? No, no, because we always start out with the number, but then sometimes we don't think about the number beforehand, and then it's like, yeah, whatever yeah. the number is, it's all right. It's up there. It's okay. I'll um, figure it out. I'll figure it out after I record, and then I put it, you know, the correct thing in the show description and all that. There you go. But um, but yeah, and and I won't actually get into the specifics of what it was about um, uh, Sherlock Holmes that made me think of this, but. Um, I don't know, it just got me thinking about movie villains and evil in film. Uh, if you go back to episode 50 in which we discussed The Dark Knight, uh, you know, we discuss the Joker, one of the, uh, I'd say, iconic villains of the last 20 years, uh, as played by Heath Ledger. And I don't know, there's just, it, it seemed, you know, there's a Christian show. And in the Christian world and in the Bible, there evil is a very real thing. Um, and so I felt like we should address it in film, especially because um, so many people discuss who the best villains are and, and, who the, and characters you love to hate and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Villains are often a great deal of fun. And that seems almost counterintuitive to like a Christian show to discuss our favorite villains in theory it could be our least favorite villains i don't know it's 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 kind of complex but uh in this we're in this episode we're going to not necessarily list our favorite villains but the ones that i think embody certain ideas about evil and villainy uh from a biblical perspective but uh first things first uh we're going to speak in a more artistic sense about uh movie villains and discuss what we look for in a in a villain the ones that are most intriguing to us um maybe at the moment in a vague sense not giving specific examples until a little bit later but uh josh when you think of some of your favorite villains what is the common thread uh underneath them well i think some of the most interesting ones are some of the ones a lot of this, it can go come to performance. Some mm. of the ones that seem to have something about them that personalizes them in a way that you might not expect. Um, I know some of my some of my favorites are ones that 
are somehow engaging, even though we know that they're evil and we know that we don't, as an audience, approve of their actions, mm-hmm. and yet we want to keep watching them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting to think about whether or not that is, um, that's just artistic effectiveness or sometimes with some movies it can be like a morbid curiosity or um it can point us to things that are in ourselves that can be fascinating when when we see how they're how they grow to to uh to an evil extent Mm -hmm. Uh, like there are a lot of things that we feel every day that maybe we don't act on, or maybe if we do act on, it's in a very small way, but a lot of great villains are those, those impulses and those ideas sort of magnified in such a way that allows them to, uh, do everything from, well, to, to go all the way up to heinous, horrible acts. And I think it's, I mean, you mentioned performance and I think villains are a lot of fun to watch because I, and, and, from an acting standpoint, they're a lot of fun to play because it allows you as the actor to take off certain certain in- social inhibitions that you might have as a person and as an actor because, I mean, this is a, you're playing a character who does not play by society's rules. They are, they have removed, uh, not all, but, you know, certain inhibitions from their own life. And so they can act however they want. Hmm. Um, and so when you think about it, like how would you as the listener, how would you act in life if you had no inhibitions, if you didn't care what people thought and you didn't much care for laws or rules or social uh, conventions or anything like that, how would you act? You know, imagine the things that go on inside your head. Now, like imagine the things that you think of, to say to somebody, but you're like, well, I can't say that because first off it would hurt their feelings. Also, who am I to, who am I to say such a thing? Uh, so you, you think that, but then for various reasons you don't say it. Mm-hmm. Well, these characters say it and there's something very, I would say liberating, but in the worst possible way, mm-hmm. uh, about that. And so, that's why you often, for example, I, I brought up the Dark Knight. I will bring up now the 1989 Tim Burton Batman. Who do you think was having more fun on set, Jack Nicholson or <laughs> Michael Keaton? Obviously, Jack Nicholson. I think Keaton was having fun as well. I yeah. like him as an actor, and I think he did some good things with, with the character. But the nature of Batman is that he is restraining himself constantly. Mm-hmm. Nature of the Joker is that he is not. Yeah, And Nicholson just clearly, who's kind of a kind of an outsized personality anyway, you can tell that he's just like, all right, what is me without limits? All right, here we go. And so he's clearly having a lot of fun and it can be fun to watch and it can be intriguing to watch. Yeah. And And it's interesting how that, like you were just saying, it can be freeing. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to think about that freeing in a bad way because uh, from a Christian standpoint, we are not totally free and it's better for us and um, more fulfilling for us when we can accept that we're not entirely free and that we are servants of Christ and that we have mm-hmm. um, we have rules set for us in order to help us and to protect us. Um, so while those things 
some some of these villains do find themselves free and yet it leads to tragic consequences even mm-hmm. though they seem like even though freedom taken at face value seems like it might always be a good thing mm-hmm. yeah and it's and it's interesting because the bible refers to when it refers to bondage it refers to sin mm-hmm. and i know some people including myself have said like well how is that even possible like how is it that allowing yourself to do whatever you want that's bondage, but then stopping yourself with rules, or I hate to put it in purely in terms of rules, but right. you know what I mean. Um, yeah. How is that not? How is that freedom and sin is bondage? And I mm-hmm. think it it it's the idea, and I'm not going to be able to verbalize this incredibly well, but uh, the idea of being a slave to your instincts, mm-hmm. and this idea of this thing that you may feel like you have to do. You actually don't. You do have a choice. You yeah. can you can opt not to do this thing. Yeah. And I know that like you know, animals are slaves to their instincts. We are not. Mm-hmm. We and, but if you but you can be that if you allow yourself to be. Yeah. And uh it reminds me of an episode that of South Park that I love in which Cartman, who's always looking for the opportunity to be selfish and well, evil, I'd just say evil. <laughs> um he discovers Tourette syndrome and like so many uh, people he finds it funny and he sees it as an opportunity to just say everything that he wants to say at all times then people get angry he's like I have Tourette's and and he's like I think he shows a note from his quack doctor or something like that Um, and so people are like oh okay but then after a while he starts to say things that he doesn't want to say he starts to <laughs> reveal internal monologue like embarrassing things about himself and he can't stop himself because he's given into his instinct so long for, for so long that now the instinct is driving him hmm. and uh even to a place he doesn't want to go yeah so that being said it seems like we can never be fully free we're always going to serve something and if it's right. a question of whether you're going to serve god or serve yourself mm-hmm. I believe Bob Dylan said, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. There you go. That's a good song. That was during his uh, Christian phase, which lasted a couple years in the early 80s. But, um, so yeah, uh, and, I, and we've, we've already sort of, sort of gotten off onto a more philosophical discussion uh, of, of villainy and evil and selfishness and, and all of this. Um, but yeah, I think... For for me, uh, the villains that I like are the ones. Don't get me wrong; I enjoy a villain who just who's just evil and just wants to do bad things, and that's the end of it. I enjoy that; it can be a lot of fun. It's fun to watch an actor, like a good actor, really let fly with a with a villainous performance. But I think the ones that I that I am most intrigued by, the ones I return to, either I specifically go and watch them or I just think about them, are the ones that they strike a chord in me. They for example, they do the things that I sometimes wish I could do. And by by I, I don't mean me as a person. I mean me, Tyler Smith. Just like, oh, I wish I could do that. And he's doing it. Oh, he's so lucky. <laughs> um, but uh, but I also tend to like the, the villains who there is humanity in them. Mm-hmm. But they choose to ignore it. Hmm. Um, I'll give an example right now of, uh, and actually I think I'll use this to get into the, the topic uh, proper. Um, there are, because we'll be talking about different, uh, different categories. And so I'll start off with K- 
characters who start who who start with good intentions or motivations that everybody can understand. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some characters that we'll talk about a little later who they do things and you you just say I, why why are you doing that? I have absolutely no idea how you got to a point where you're okay with doing this or where you go from where the idea comes into your mind and you think I think that's a good idea. I think I'm going to do that. We have no idea. But then there are characters. They have a good goal in mind, one that we all can relate to, Mm -hmm. but they sort of circumvent or circumvent, as uh, Job would say in Arrested Development. (laughs) Um, One of my favorite jokes of that show is that he mispronounces it once and then proceeds to mispronounce it three more times in like worse and worse each time. (laughs) But these villains... They circumvent the uh, the rules because they think if I just ignore these, I can get to this good goal in an easier way or in a more effective way or whatever. And so mm-hmm. the first one off the top of my head that actually I don't have listed here is um, it's Francis something. I did again. I didn't write it down, so I don't remember his name. Uh, Ed Harrison, The Rock. Oh, um, I don't remember the character name either. Yeah, it's. Uh, Francis something anyway uh, he's a character he wants good things he uh, he's a former you know he's a, he's a war vet and because of the the job that he did he and and his men uh, like there, I think there was a covert nature to it and so the government sort of disowns them and doesn't give them you know compensation doesn't take care of like the you know widows and stuff like that and he finds that to be terrible and so he takes Alcatraz hostage and 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 threatens to like blow up San Francisco unless the country does what it should have done. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like it starts with he was sort of wronged, but what's more but it's actually bigger than him because it's also about his men and just it's about justice. It's about getting getting the country to do the right thing. Hmm. And that's something we can all relate to, this idea, but he's putting a lot of people in danger and over the course of the film kills a lot of innocent people or fellow soldiers who are also trying to do their, their duty. Mm. Um, and that's something we can all relate to, but he just, his goal is something we can all relate to, but he does terrible things to get there. And so the question becomes, um, as you and I were discussing before we started recording that, that age old idea of the ends justifying the means Mm -hmm. and, you know, how how big do the ends have to be like how how big like do you sacrifice 10 people to save 100 well everyone would say yes of course but do you sacrifice i'm spoiling some i'm this there's going to be a lot of spoilers in this episode so i apologize in advance <laughs> and i can't tell you what the movies are going to be um <laughs> well, so let's, i'll let's try and hit them as we come to them yeah so the movie watchmen spoilers uh yeah. i just said like do you kill 10 do you kill 10 people or let 10 people die to save a hundred? We would say, yes. Do you sacrifice New York city to save the world? Yeah. And that's something that the character Ozymandias does yeah. or, in Watchmen or even, uh, when, when it comes down to a, like a quantification of, well, which, which one's going to save more people? Would you sacrifice 65 people to save 66 people? Like right. what th- that becomes a very, a tricky area to to deal with to just say like well if the number of people that will be saved is more then 
then that's better, which is what Ozymandias does in that movie, saying, like, well, it will clearly be more people, so this is the better thing to do. Right. Um, and there's also, in that one specifically, and I think a lot of these, a lot of these movies, probably in The Rock as well, um, the the case is is that the, these are people who also have some level of pride in them because they have to believe that what they are doing will 100% prevent the deaths of all these of mm-hmm. these other people. Ozymandias, as the self-proclaimed smartest man in the world, um, is 100% convinced that everyone's going to die in some kind of nuclear war unless he makes it look like it's happening first, essentially. Right. It might be boiling that down to something more simple than it it's is. It's very simplified, but that's basically it. Yeah. Yes. Um, but in order to do that, you have to believe that you know you know what's going to happen. Right. And so that you're doing this thing to prevent what's going to happen otherwise. Um, and so and so, uh, Josh has just uh, led us down a, a road that we are going to return to over and over, which is the idea of pride. Mm-hmm. And when I say pride, chances are you think of somebody who's very pleased with themselves. Uh, they think themselves is better than everybody else. And they're just generally insufferable. Mm. And I'd say that is sometimes true, but the biblical definition of pride is a little deeper. Um, It's not merely being pleased with yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, The biblical definition is thinking of yourself first, always of yourself first. Um, Putting yourself ahead of other people, putting yourself ahead of God. And so... um, And I have a quote here from C.S. Lewis. I will be returning to C.S. Lewis frequently throughout uh, the episode. Uh, Pride is ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on the self. And that sounds to us really awful, um, but I think any villain, and often many heroes, but any villain, any action that they take probably starts with pride. This idea of, as Josh said with... uh, uh, Ozymandias or Ozymandias I never know um, <laughs> he starts with I know what's going to happen I definitely know what's going to happen and incidentally I know better than everybody else how to prevent it look on my works ye mighty and despair there you go um, <laughs> you recently read it right I did Okay. Uh, yeah. and so so I'll bring up a couple of a uh, couple other uh, Characters who deal with with what we're talking about, the idea of good intentions or motivations that we can all relate to. And you'll run across, there's all kinds of uh, movies about corrupt cops. One that's out right now is called Rampart, mm. uh, which I didn't get a chance to see, but I, I really wanted to. It's the director, uh, Oren Moverman, who did um, The Messenger, which you can hear an episode about that. Um, so you get the character of Henry Oak, played by Ray Liotta in NARC. And then, and he's, he's not a straight up villain. He does some pretty brutal, awful things, things that really should get him kicked off the force, (laughs) if not just jailed. Mm -hmm. But, um, but he does not necessarily involve himself with a criminal enterprise, but at the same time, what he does is wrong. It is against the law. So while he may not do it overtly for his own gain, he still clearly thinks well there's the law but i know better than the law i know how best to accomplish you know x y and z so i will do what i want to do i am the law as judge dread as might judge say. dread would 
scream. Um, I didn't see Judge Dredd. Neither did I. Okay. But I have a feeling I know what it's about. <laughs> Uh, and then another example is Alonzo Harris played by Denzel Washington in Training Day mm-hmm. and King Kong. He, he, he ain't got uh, nothing on him. All right. Censoring. Um, but yeah, it's uh, and he's an, he, he his is an example where he started out as a good cop who wanted to do good things. But over the course of his career, he realized, oh, the best the way I can get things done is to kind of fraternize with the criminal element and to a certain extent that's understandable if you're like an undercover cop if you're a street mm-hmm. cop i understand that but after a while he started to ignore certain things in order to better ingratiate himself to the criminal element and before you know it his ignoring certain things became criminal and then he would have to commit more crimes and more fraud to cover to- up his initial crimes and before you know it he is very much a criminal himself, much more than than Henry Oak, yeah. um, in that he's just completely committing crimes now. Yeah, and that's the perfect example of the slippery slope idea. That yeah. At first, it starts out where he he's just infiltrating, like he's getting in, but then when he forgets what the what the point of the whole thing is, what the point of him being there as a police officer, it becomes something completely different. And it becomes about his plan more than it does about what he's meant to do and what it is right for him to do. Right. And another one that sort of goes goes a little with this idea that I, I had thought of, but also uh, it deals with the pride issue in a way we might not think of necessarily. Because you were saying that a lot of these are rooted in pride in some way or the other. So if if you try to think of a villain who is completely... Um, is completely focused on what's right and in no way is thinking of themselves, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the ones that seem that way are not in actuality that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ones we mentioned a little bit was the character of Javert from Les Miserables. Yeah. He, in his own mind, is purely doing God's work. He's purely doing um, what he thinks is righteous. Mm-hmm. But... And he's adhering very strictly to the law, to the, the law. letter of the law. Exactly. But in doing that, he has placed himself in the position of the lawmaker and the lawgiver, and, and he forgets or ignores uh, the other things that a righteous life requires, and mm-hmm. that um, God, the ultimate righteous person, uh, requires mercy also and, and is is himself patient and loving and Javert doesn't have any of these characteristics because he's decided for himself what righteousness is so yeah. ultimately it is still self-serving and saying I know what I know what's right I will do what's right in whatever way I find to be truest and you know it's it's similar the idea of of an accused man either falsely or otherwise and and Jean Valjean is not falsely accused he actually mm-hmm. did what yeah. he was uh, convicted of right. but um but the punishment was probably a bit harsh probably. um but the idea of of a man being pursued by the officer of the law that is not a new thing whereas Javert is clearly the antagonist slash villain mm-hmm. and it's because of his attitude even more so than his actions, mm-hmm. his attitude is villainous and judgmental, and this I, and this general idea of I could never do that. Yeah, 
I'm I've I've got it worked out. You look at that compared to say Tommy Lee Jones and the Fugitive. Mm-hmm. He is the pursuer, but he is not. He's certainly not the villain. I would I would say he's not even the antagonist. Now, mm-hmm. that could partially be because Richard Kimball is falsely accused, and so there is somebody out there that killed his wife. But and it, but it would have been easy to make Tommy Lee Jones out to just be this obsessed guy who just has to has to get his man. But he's doing his job, but he is also surprisingly open-minded and generally non-judgmental. Mm-hmm. Now, it often comes out kind of humorously because, for example, when uh, Richard Kimball says, I didn't kill my wife, and Tommy Lee Jones says, I don't care. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's kind of funny. But at the same time, in, the, in that moment, you almost see it as a flaw um, in the Tommy Lee Jones character. But then you come to realize that him saying, I don't care it doesn't mean that he is stubborn and thinks himself better than Richard Kimball. In fact, it is his lack of stubbornness that leads him to come to the conclusion that Richard did, which is, oh, he clearly did not do this. Mm -hmm. Somebody else did it. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's the same kind of character, but if you look at their attitude, one is clearly a villain and one is not. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, but both of them are doing, they're both doing their job and their job is a good job. It is an important thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we get we come back to the good intentions and the understandable motivations. And I'll come up with just a couple others here and there. I, I won't I won't uh, touch on them that much. But uh, you get the character of Tom Riddle in in the Harry Potter series, who then goes on to become one of the worst villains of all time, Lord Voldemort. By worst, I don't I, I think is very well sketched out character. I just mean he does really horrible things, <laughs> and he becomes really the embodiment uh, of evil. But he starts off with just a general fear of death. Which is understandable. I mean, from a Christian standpoint, like we say, like, oh, we're not, you know, we're not supposed to be afraid of death. And I understand that. But at the same time, it is still, if we're honest with ourselves, it's still kind of like, oh, I don't, this is a little scary. Um, and he doesn't want that. It's an understandable motivation. And, but he discovers that, oh, the way I can avoid death is to, uh, spoilers for number six, I believe. Um, I haven't seen. He realizes that. If if he, I'll put it in the broadest possible terms. All right. If he chooses himself over other people in a very tangible way, then he can preserve himself. But he, it means sacrificing these other people in some way. Okay. Um, and I would say that uh, maybe the most notable. Uh, among these is the character of Anakin Skywalker from the Star Wars prequels, uh, which I don't like. I don't enjoy those movies. They're not good. Mm. But from a uh, from the point of view of an arc, uh, the, the arc of Anakin Skywalker is a very good one, so, in fa- so good, in fact, that I wish the movies had been much better, um, which is to say good at all. So, uh, <laughs> But Anakin, he... He gets taken from his mother. He's very sad, and his mo- then his mother dies, and he's devastated... And then he falls in love with uh, somebody else, and he doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want to lose her, and so he needs. He feels like he needs control, and he will do anything he can for that control. Possibly even the control, uh, the ability to control death and life and all of that. And so he's willing to do that in a way. You know, none of us want to experience loss especially if we already have and we want to avoid it as much as we can but what he's ultimately saying is that my emotional you know i mean again it's a terrible thing but like 
my emotional pain is a bigger deal than somebody else's physical pain or yeah. death. I will kill other people if it means I can save the one person that I care most about. Yeah. Um, and that's, and it comes, it comes from a noble place, which is wanting to protect the people you love, but then it gets taken to an, to an extreme. Mm-hmm. And in this case, you actually find somebody who is willing to kill several to save one. Yeah. And the difference is that that one happens to be very important to me. Mm-hmm. And if you actually look at, most movies where it's like, oh, saving that one person is the most important thing. You know, <laughs> like this is the extension of that. If you were to take that to an extreme, you get Anakin Skywalker turning into Darth Vader in these series of terrible movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to specify that the, I, I really want to emphasize <laughs> that I do not like these movies, but you can still get things out of movies you don't like. That's true. So moving into our next uh, our next category, because... It starts with people with good intentions and feelings of justification. They're justified in in doing bad things. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that is them saying, well, the law and the rules apply to this person, but my intentions are noble, so it doesn't apply to me. And in that sense, they're almost saying, I'm better than most people. And so then you get into the idea of entitlement and revenge, you know, if you look at uh, Batman Begins, Bruce wants to take revenge, but it's revenge is a very personal thing. There's justice, mm. and that's what he tries to embody as Batman, but he starts out wanting revenge. It's not about this person must pay for their crimes. It's that person did something to me. Mm-hmm. They need to pay. Yeah. Um, and there is a di- there's definitely a difference. And so you get characters like I mentioned from The Dark, from the dark Knight. You get Two-Face. Mm-hmm who was a champion of justice and the law, but then something happens to him specifically and he loses somebody and he feels justified in going on basically a killing spree. And now that he's been wronged, he has license to wrong others. License. Yes. He's entitled. He has license. There's a lot of ways to, to look at it. Um, same with, uh, the character of, uh, Sweeney Todd. I believe the character's name is Benjamin Barker first. Um, and he has been horribly wronged. But what's interesting, and so he certainly wants to take revenge, but he also wants to take revenge on society in general, the society that can let, uh, you know, the judge do this kind of thing with impunity. Right. And so he winds up killing innocent people because Mm -hmm. he blames everybody for what has happened to him. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that with uh, another character from a uh, Tim Burton film, the Penguin in Batman Returns, who has been treated horrendously uh, as a result of his appearance and so he decides he's going to take it out on society society as a whole and of course all of us would say well that's terrible but i wonder how often we feel we have felt entitled to bad behavior in our own lives because something has not gone our way yeah and even even more so in uh, in regards to revenge i think it's it becomes obvious that we are will that it's easy for someone to get to that point when there are a whole series of movies where the hero is trying to get revenge mm-hmm. um it's a, it's a whole genre uh, yeah. the revenge movies and so um it's easy to see how easily we can accept that if someone has been wronged then they have the right to wrong others in order to uh rebalance or, or however you look at it uh, to to get that revenge um when we you know we have 
whole movies where we cheer on someone doing that same thing. Yeah. And it, and I think we like those movies they know that the human instinct is to get even. Yeah. And so it knows that we're going to cheer, but if you look at it from if you look at it from a certain point of view, that character can become the villain. And I think an mm-hmm. example is the movie Mystic River where you get yeah. which is a movie I don't love but I like um and you get Sean Penn who is a guy who former who was a criminal at some point but is trying to do things the right way and then his daughter is murdered hmm. is that his daughter in there um sorry that's something he screams uh and that's what won him his first oscar oh that's uh, right but uh so he so his daughter is killed and so in his as he calls in some of his uh former criminal buddies to investigate uh, he starts heading down a certain path that he feels entitled to go down because he has been wronged. And eventually he takes revenge. And over the course of that film, he goes from being kind of a hero to a villain. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you watch the last 10 minutes of that film, you see a nonchalance about his actions mm-hmm. because he feels, well, I, I, I deserve it. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've earned it. Right. Um, but, uh, but that's the thing is then w- like once you start going down this path of, well, it's different for me mm-hmm. because of what has happened to me or because of my goals, it's different for me. I'm better. Then you start to see injustice everywhere. Right. And you can start to say, and, and it, it ultimately, the question becomes, what about me? Mm-hmm. And so then you get characters like Iago from Othello and the, the, it's been uh, adapted many times, and I think Iago has been played by some pretty amazing actors and Josh Hartnett. Um, <laughs> although, you know what? I have not seen O, directed by Tim Blake Nelson, a director I like, a writer and director I like. Um, I haven't seen O. I hear it's actually quite good, and I hear that Josh Hartnett is actually pretty good as, as that character, um, who's, uh, whose name is, uh, I believe, Hugo. But um, Hugo. Hugo. So... Um, and then Kenneth Branagh has has played it in the version with uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Gilbert Gottfried is the parrot in the. Uh, yeah. Okay. I get, it's not necessarily the same character. Yeah, I don't know. And he gets Shit. some. He I does think, get some redemption in uh, in Aladdin to the Return of Jafar. I think Shakespeare might disagree. Okay. Fair enough. Shakespeare um, sticks to Aladdin. But the version that I like the most is is Orson uh, Orson Welles' version. Um, played by, I believe, Michael McLeamore. I think that's how you say it. I'm not sure. Um, an old uh, theater acquaintance of, of Orson Welles. Um, so if you haven't seen it, I recommend that a lot. But in that, you get a guy who is lonely and sees the love that uh, Othello has with Desdemona and is envious of it and mm. asks, what about me? Right. But rather than try to go out and find somebody... Uh, he instead wants to ruin it for somebody else. And I yeah. wonder how often we've run across in our own lives, I know that I certainly have, people who seem to have it more worked out than we do or life has just sort of blessed them in a way mm-hmm. that we that it hasn't blessed us and we feel like, okay, we're going to take them down a peg. You want to see them brought down to your level. Brought down, yeah. yeah. Brought down to our level, as Joker says about uh, Harvey Dent, incidentally, in The Dark Knight. <laughs> So you're in good company with the Joker, uh, <laughs> absolute psychopath. So, um, but yeah, and so that's that's why I wanted to start with these 
these categories of good intentions or revenge or entitlement because it's something I think we can all relate to. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's a temptation that we have when looking at movie villains is we say we could never do that. But if you start heading down a certain path and it's that path of pride of choosing yourself over other people, I think it's just a matter of time before you wind up unrecognizable to yourself. Yeah. You know, to your, your younger self, I'd say. Um, but, uh, and I'll bring up a couple others. Um, the character of Hank Quinlan in touch of evil. Um, he is also a corrupt cop. Um, and in theory he does things for good reasons, but his wife was murdered and they, and I don't remember if, I don't think they ever caught who did it, but he, uh, because he has been wronged, he now feels that he can take it out on criminals in general or, or people that he thinks might be criminals and that sort of thing. And that's a, that's a wonderful performance by Orson Welles. Um, and then also you get the character of Dr. Moreau from the Island of Lost Souls, as well as the Island of Dr. Moreau watch Lost Souls. It's much better. Not the movie Lost Souls with Ben Chaplin, the Island of Lost Souls. (laughs) Um, and a wonderful flamboyant performance by uh, Charles Lawton. Yes. Um, that, that character is that's another one of those characters that's fascinating to watch because it does it in such a way that you wouldn't expect like yeah this flamboyant uh, doctor who lives on an island by himself and yet he's created a weird race of uh of half human half animals yeah. to serve him <laughs> yeah it's and it, and it's it really is the essence of the mad scientist character. Mm-hmm. And it's this guy who is trying to do this thing. And what he's doing is not necessarily wrong. I mean, well, in theory, which is testing stuff out on animals, something that scientists do all over the place and just experimenting, seeing if he can do something. It's that, that curiosity. And he would say, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, entitles me to do whatever i want if it's in the name of science and it might originally come from a desire to help people or to help society at large but ultimately doesn't end up in that and then the fact that the scientific community then casts him out now he feels even then you get he just gets really mad yeah and becomes a mad scientist exactly that's how that's that's how it works right josh i'm gonna need you to just sit there and not talk why don't they call him angry scientist (laughs) Upset scientist. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> Just making, let me let me vivisect. So making fun of my science. <laughs> um, put off scientists. So, so to continue this uh, the progression here. So you have somebody who they have good motivations or at least understandable ones. They've perhaps been wronged, but for whatever reason they decide I'm gonna. I'm going to go around the rules. And then they arrive, and I'll be going back now to episode 50. They arrive at a place where they realize, oh, wow, these rules sure can be circumvented pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't mean much. Mm -hmm. And then you wind up with the Joker in Dark Knight. You wind up with Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men. You wind up with Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now. You wind up with, I think the character's name is Vincent in Collateral, played by Tom Cruise. Characters who, they start, they probably wanted to do something good. Maybe not so much uh, Vincent, because he's a hitman. But I think he was actually in the military and found that he was surprisingly good at killing people, so maybe killing people is no big deal. And I think there are enough uh, hitmen in movies that are convinced that they're killing the bad guys. Right. And so, 
so you get characters who they maybe wanted to do something good and then realized there's no that maybe they did something bad weren't punished for it and, and they start to develop a philosophy of the rules don't mean anything and at the very least they don't mean anything to me and so i can do what i want and again it's them it's it's separating yourself and putting yourself up a little bit higher than other people and from a Christian standpoint, putting yourself higher than God because God is the guy that made the rules and hey, I've broken them pretty easily and everything's mm-hmm. fine, so I'm just going to keep doing this. Yeah. And some of that I think is rooted in the idea rooted in originally having the idea that the reason we don't break the rules is simply because we get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And when characters or people in real life can realize that you can break the rules and not get in trouble, suddenly it feels like if your whole impulse for obeying the rules in the first place was because you didn't want to get caught, mm-hmm. then if that impetus is taken away, or if that if that impulse, I forget the word I used before, mm-hmm. but if that reason is taken away, then why do you yeah why bother doing good yeah and it's and that's that's why you get characters like the joker and i mean and i was talking about it from the point of view of like jack nicholson as an actor saying okay me without without limits what does that look like and when you realize that and and if you take the time to think like well for me the only limit is what is legally allowable and if i don't get caught and frankly even if i do what does it really matter? So I'm just going to do what I want. Right. Um, and then for you, there really isn't any limit. Right. And I think uh, two other ones that I actually just, just thought of that I'll, I'll touch on briefly so we can keep moving, but uh, characters that see, see the law almost as arbitrary and thus are maybe even fascinated to work around it are the uh the villains in rope the hitchcock movie oh yeah two guys who they're like we we think we could commit a murder let's try and do it and uh and and therefore do and then the uh the i don't know i don't forget their names but the characters in funny games who come to this family just to to torture them as sort of a game yeah it's um, that it's that leopold and Loeb mentality of just sort of why not let's see if i can do it yeah exactly yeah. and when th- th- those people see uh see doing something uh, the problem with doing something wrong is there's a consequence and if you can get away without the consequence then maybe it's not wrong yeah and uh another example of this and a character one of my favorite characters even though he has very limited screen time is the character of harry lime from the third man i'm sorry to bring up orson welles so often but he does seem to uh specialize in characters he does play some fascinating villains yeah uh, the and just thinking about how uh, nuanced each of those villains is like none of them seems like a uh, superhero villain in the mm-hmm. sense that it's just always oh, bad and he wants to rule the world or something like that like right. it's it's not as easy as that all of them seem a little bit like maybe they're not such a bad guy but ultimately they are and I, and he's a guy who clearly has a has developed a philosophy over time and a very morally corrupt one where harry, he, harry Lyme. harry Lyme, yeah, yeah. not orson welles <laughs> um who's to say though um i heard about some of his shooting styles so uh yeah i mean there's a maybe one one of the most i'd say maybe one of the top 10 most famous scenes or maybe not most famous but best is uh in a uh, ferris wheel 
and in Vienna and Harry is talking with his old friend and sort of justifying why he has started to do very bad criminal inhuman things and he just says he says oh, well you know look look down there and he shows and they look uh, down at all the people on the ground and he's like if one of those dots were to stop moving would you really feel bad or would you start calculating how many dots you could afford to lose if you gained a certain amount of money per per dot um, and that's how he thinks of people I mean he literally in the illustration he is above people to the point where they are dots yeah and that's clearly how he philosophically feels about other people. Right. Um, and then then uh, Holly is the name of the main character. And he says, well, you used to believe in God. And in, do, and in saying that, he doesn't. he's not overtly saying it, but he's sort of implying you used to believe in an objective morality that's bigger than us. Right. And he says, oh, I still do believe in God, but I believe in God and mercy and all that. But the dead are happier dead. And so he <laughs> says that. I mean, it's really rather devastating. Hmm. Um and then he gives the wonderful line talking about, I believe, in Italy under the Borgias, like they had war and destruction and famine, but they created some of the most amazing contributions to modern society, whereas the Swiss had, you know, hundreds of or thousands of years of peace and prosperity, and they gave us the cuckoo clock. And, <laughs> you know, and you just, and it's funny and it's incredibly charming, as Orson Welles uh, often was, hmm. but, uh, but it often it really is just like oh my gosh he really like he really headed down that that slippery slope of something becomes okay and before you know it everything is kind of okay yeah um so i want to move into uh the next phase here which is harry lime the joker anton chigurh i mean these characters are rather monstrous and they after a while they start to not really even resemble humans like human beings uh as far as the way they act and like when you talk to most people in your life there seems to be a general idea of humanity and then you run across these characters and you and you're just like these i don't know who these people are Mm -hmm. like they're they're beyond me um and i think that's what happens is after a while okay you hear about this when it comes to like uh, Hollywood producers, like <laughs> who I'd say are the real life monsters. Um, with not with every Hollywood producer, of course, but just just the successful ones, just the really successful <laughs> ones. Um, the idea of like they treat people like crap, or some of them have they've treated people like crap on their way to the top, mm. and they have been rewarded with wild success money and to and to a certain extent fame and so they have been shown that you can treat people like this and it's perfectly fine and then they get to that point where you're so powerful that nobody's going to say hey you're not acting like a good person like no one will say that and so they're then totally unaccountable Hmm. and after a while you just hear like i mean there are all kinds of stories floating around that if they're not true the reason they've exist, they, the reason they've lasted, is because they could be true. Yeah, <laughs> it's just as likely they are as not. <laughs> and so, um, and so, it's just like the, these people. There's, there's literally no talking to them. You can't mm-hmm. even really appeal to them. I'm now talking about in the vague sense. Uh, these, these characters, you can't appeal to them the way 
you would appeal to a friend uh, appeal to a friend of yours and so um so you so then you find that they're able to justify any kind of behavior and you get a character like daniel plainview and there will be blood mm-hmm. who i wouldn't say starts out as the hero he starts out as the protagonist <laughs> um but he it's much the same thing he does some pretty terrible things on his way to the top and then once he's there he's left to his own devices and mm-hmm. is just oh, just awful and he winds up he's uh, finished he's finished one could <laughs> say um and then another example, maybe I think maybe one of the best villains of all time is uh, Noah Cross, played by John Huston, director John Huston in mm-hmm. uh, Roman Polanski's Chinatown. Yeah. Who I, I won't spoil what he does in case you haven't seen it, but it's pretty terrible. It's it's the, like the worst thing you can do, <laughs> um, and just. And he seems surprisingly glib about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sort of, as I meant, you know, to sort of transition us from the last topic into this one, he sort of does have something of a philosophy behind it that, that excuses what he did. Yeah. Which is, and I think I've quoted this uh, elsewhere on the show, that most people never have to face the fact that under the right circumstances, they're capable of anything. Mm. And that's a philosophy, and that's a justification. That's, that's, well, I shouldn't feel bad because anybody could do this. Right. And so he is putting himself at the same level as everybody else, mm-hmm. but that's so that he can excuse actions that he and very few other people have taken. Yeah. <laughs> it, seems, it seems democratic on the surface. Like, <laughs> well, you know, anybody is like me. Like, anybody could do this. Yeah. But, uh, I, and that shows also a, a, uh, that shows a an extreme level in this situation of self delusion because how can you honestly believe that anyone would do these things that that you've done? Right. Nearly no one does, and yeah. I feel like that that should be a better indicator than your philosophical idea that anyone's capable of something. And uh, I'm not sure what the uh, there are so many philosophical ideas behind all of this that I wish I knew more about, but what the idea is that validates uh, that can, that can even validate for someone uh, that if, if other people would do this, then it's okay for me to do it. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's to a certain extent, it's a mob mentality, even if you're not part of a mob, even yeah. if you, you could view humanity itself as a mob, as one big mob that is capable of anything and has done anything. And so what's the difference if one more person who happens to be me does it? Yeah. I'm no worse than humanity as a whole. Right. Um, and so another example, and this is a real life example, um, which is Idi Amin. Yeah. Who, and by the way, we could say Hitler pretty easily and Joseph Stalin because they've been played in, in films as well. But, um, but Idi Amin has a very, is very specific because to, to me, like just such a clear cut example of somebody who I think is everything that we've been talking about up until, up until now. Yeah. Um, he wanted, he, he clearly wants good things for his country. He thinks he can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he gets swept into, uh, office i guess you'd say um into well, power swept himself into power <laughs> right um but there's a lot he has a lot of support i mean he's yeah people genuinely love him because he's saying very populist things yeah. and the previous guy was 
pretty hated. And that's that's what happens in most of these situations where a tyrannical dictator takes power is that the regime before it is, even if it's not a regime in the negative sense of the word, but the administration maybe before it is people aren't happy people are having problems like they're the country doesn't seem to be doing well and people want to change Mm -hmm. and then they sweep into some kind of change without thinking about without even considering whether this change is good like change to Idi Amin was not good for for uganda change to hitler was not good for for germany obviously or anybody i'd say (laughs) well yes let's not get specific well was pretty good for Hitler for a while. <laughs> um, All right. Um, but yeah, all that to say that this is Idi Amin's character is one who once put in that position of power and we speak of him as a character, but we should keep in mind he was a real person. He was a real this person. Is not a, this is not a, a fabrication of some kind. Um, uh, once he gains that power, he becomes totally selfish like we've talked about like he he is he literally is the law in uganda like he makes the law he makes the decisions um and it can in many cases and does specifically in this case make that person so myopic that they can't see when they're doing things bad for the country Mm -hmm. um we're, we're talking about Idi Amin, without being specific about movies, for people who don't know about movies relating to Idi Amin, there's there's a newer one that more people probably know about, which is The Last King of Scotland. For which um, Forrest Whitaker won the Best Actor Oscar, which is unfortunately should have won supporting, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> it is a fantastic performance. Not, very much so. Not to fault the performance at all. Yeah. But, uh, but another one which I saw more recently, which is probably why it's fresher in my mind and seems more uh, more striking, is there's a documentary about... Uh, him called General Idi Amin Dada, made by Barbet Schroeder in the seventies. I guess it would have to be, yeah, um, uh, seventy six or some, somewhere like that. Um, that's that is him in his own words. It's almost an autobiographical documentary. Yeah, um, it's him as he wanted to be presented to uh, to the world, with a few things that uh, there's a little bit of narration in the film that is is pretty condemning of him. Um, mm-hmm. In in really just giving facts about what's happening in the country and what happens in specific situations and to specific members of the cabinet even, um, but uh, uh, yeah, that was just no. giving some background on why we're talking about this character. We're not just yeah. going on a, a, a dictator that we came up with, but um, speaking about how he becomes myopic and doesn't see what he's doing and why what he's doing is wrong. Um, when, when he has the power that everyone has to listen to what he has to say, then he, I suppose it's, it's just not having anyone around you or it's not holding yourself to anybody else's standard, but your own. Right. If your standard is that, is, is if your standard is yourself, then you can't be wrong. Yeah. Um, so he comes up with these new economic policies that are essentially uh, uh, totally based in racism, and and getting certain races out of the country will mean that will will uh, yeah. you know it'll economic it'll benefit the country economically, and yeah. it doesn't. But he and by tells, crazy coincidence, the race that is okay to stay is his. 
<laughs> Isn't that great? I know. It really worked out for it. Yeah. But, uh, but it doesn't help the economy. But even in this documentary, he's telling the the filmmakers that it has helped the country. Yeah. And it's obvious that it hasn't um, from, from any other standpoint but his own. Mm-hmm. And what he's looking at is his situation from his own standpoint and his standpoint is a standard and thus everything else uh, falls short. And uh, I'll actually bring him up again in a moment uh, to sort of transition into the final phase of uh, our discussion. Um, but uh, yeah, so you get characters that turn characters in, th- in this case, a real person, but uh, you get characters that become so I, I keep using the phrase monstrous because when we think of monsters, we think of something that is inhuman. We cannot relate to them. And so uh, there, it is not totally unheard of that in movies and television shows, you get characters that are selfish and monstrous and it starts to, their, their inner decay starts to show on their faces like it starts to physicalize itself. Mm-hmm. And so that's why with, uh, what is it? Chester Gould who created the Dick Tracy comics mm-hmm. uh, comics. And then you see the, uh, the Warren Beatty film from 1990. If you're a criminal, you're ugly in some way <laughs> you could have a flat top. I don't mean a haircut. I mean, you, the, your skull is flat on the top. You could have a prune face. You could have, okay, well the character's name is influence. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, but he looks weird. So, uh, you know, and they're just characters, they just look ugly. Mm-hmm. And it, and the idea was that it was meant to mirror the ugliness of their souls. Yeah. And um, another example, this is from an episode of The Twilight Zone that I, I don't know the name of the episode, but it is one of the more famous episodes. And it's uh, a, a group of uh, children, not necessarily, they're adult children. The adult children of this, I think, millionaire who there who he dies and they're fighting over his fortune and he says okay well i want you it's in the will it's like you'll get my fortune if you can wear these masks and if you can try to get along with each other and so they wear these kind of grotesque looking masks and then they and they just fight with each other and they backstab um to see you know it's like i deserve more of the money than you do blah 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 and then by the end of the film it's by the end of the episode the the will says like all right you've worn the masks for a week hopefully hopefully you've gotten along as well you can take the masks off and the money is yours and so they take the masks off and their faces have contorted into the grotesque images of the mask because he's and he says now you actually look the way you are Hmm. um and then another example is from you know a classic horror film called nosferatu in which you get count orlock who is just rat-like he is not the suave count dracula yeah he is it i mean he looks diseased mm-hmm. he looks gaunt and yeah. just quite disgusting mm-hmm. and you know you look at you look at movies like twilight and <laughs> and even and even putting that putting the humor of that aside get interview with the vampire interview or, with the vampire you have even dracula itself like bella lugosi good looking guy charming. and charming dressed well exotic yeah you know there's something appealing to that but then you look at Count Orlock and Nosferatu, and he's just... He's horrifying to look at. He's horrifying to, to behold. Yeah. And, and as we said in our, in our Halloween episode, I mean, 
being a vampire, that is the essence of I'm choosing me over you. For me to live and thrive means you have to die. Right. That's how it works. Yeah. Um, I will, I will consume you. Yeah. Um, and that was a that was a technique in general of of German expressionism that you see a lot. Is yeah. a lot of these evil characters are made up in a more extreme way. Um, Ka- uh, Doctor Caligari. Caligari is a little yeah. bit like that. Um, I had another one in mind that I've that I've lost. Um, uh, Faust is another one. The uh, yeah, I'd say so. And, and of course, the the villain in that is the devil. So I guess <laughs> you're not expecting him to be. He looks a little rough sometimes. Yeah, but um, but yeah, that that was in that's a technique that sort of points this idea of uh, a character on the outside looking like what they are on the inside. Right. And so the, so that's like just a, a visual signifier of who these characters have become. But if you look at Daniel Plainview or Noah Cross or various or, or somebody like Harry Powell in The Night of the Hunter, we haven't talked about him yet, but mm-hmm. he's a guy who throughout the film is animalistic mm-hmm. by, by the end. Um, he makes like yelping noises when he is wounded and it's just... He's just lost any semblance of humanity um, in his behavior. and But then there are also villains who have lost it in their physicality as well. Um, now I have leaning on the everlasting arms in my head. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, you'll <laughs> never hear that song the same way. Uh, it's just like... And I do remember when I first saw Night of the Hunter, because the character Harry Powell, he is, in theory, a reverend... Um, <laughs> It, it remains to be seen if he was ever a reverend gone bad or he just said, okay, this is who I am. Yeah, now. he seems like he might have in prison decided that he was a reverend. Maybe right. it was some kind of uh, self-protection tactic. Possibly. And so, uh, but yeah, when I first saw it, so he says that throughout and that's sort of how he announces himself as he sings that very slow and ominous. And uh, so I saw that, I, I watched that movie on video when I was a teenager and then I then at church the next i think a couple days later they were singing that i'm mm-hmm. like this isn't nearly dreadful enough like this <laughs> i'm not frightened at all what you guys really aren't uh, hitting this the way i think it should be but um and so i do want to i do want to read a uh read a passage from uh revelations that's revelations 317 uh You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And I feel like that applies to to this section. These are characters who, as far as they know, they've got it worked out. And they don't really need anything, but they fail to see the ugliness of themselves. Especially Noah Cross, I think that's it. Especially Noah Cross, yes. Um, So we were talking about Idi Amin, and I do want to go back to him because... You started to talk about how he got so much power and he was accountable only to himself. And I've, I've seen General Idi Amin Dada. It's a wonderful film. See it if you can. Um, but I haven't seen it that recently. But I, do, but I think you know the details more about Idi Amin's military exploits mm. as the head of Uganda as far as like in trying to invade other countries and, and that sort of thing. Um, can you list some of that? Again, we're talking about a real person. I apologize for that. But uh, can you go into some detail about that? Yeah. Well, the uh, in the film, when you watch the documentary, he is there's a lot of 
uh, saber rattling maybe mm-hmm. um, where he's talking about how Uganda is the strongest country in the world that everyone's afraid of them he's talking about how America is afraid of Uganda how he talks specifically about Henry Kissinger being afraid of him <laughs> um, and so if if you were to only watch that if you were to know nothing about history and to watch that he has he has such a bravado about him that you might believe that it's true even and you get to understand a little bit like why he why he was popular when he was in fact popular but um the reality is that e- even though the country was led by a, a he, he was a he was a military man he came from the military um he didn't know how to run the military. He didn't know to run the military as the country, as a country. And uh, the first times that he, you know, eventually his his pride and his wanting to be in control of everything led to him wanting to start to invade neighboring countries. And so he threatened to invade Kenya at one point. Uh, Kenya shored up their borders, and he had to back away because they were stronger than he was. And then he did the same thing in trying to invade Tanzania, and uh, Tanzania not only fought back, but started to supply uh, supply weapons and, and arms to the rebels within Uganda, the rebels of uh, Amin's regime, the rebels against Amin's regime. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was he was taken down from within and had to to flee to another country. So there was never any real power that he had there, other than over the people immediately around him and the people that he was able to intimidate. There's a scene that you and I were talking about shortly after I had seen the film, which is, uh, it seems very innocent, but is at the same time kind of alarming when you think of the ramifications of the whole thing, where he's at home and he's in his swimming pool in the backyard and he has a swimming race with several other men who, I'm not sure if they're they're, uh, people who work for him or if they're family or if they're some kind of government, I don't know who they are, but... I would assume there are people that work for him. Probably. But uh, he has a swimming race, and of course he wins. (laughs) It's it's almost comical because some of the others are swimming straight across the pool, and he is not. He is he's swimming at like a like severely canted off to the left, and he swims right over top of another guy. (laughs) And and you can you can almost see the other guys like visibly making sure that they're not ahead of him because you can't you're not supposed to beat him he's supposed yeah. to win because he has to continue believing that he is the strongest that he always wins and whenever there's a moment that he uh, that that's challenged historically he he had people killed or deported or threatened to the point where they had to leave the country yeah so um that's that's that one i think example or or part of evil where uh, someone is so completely willing to, uh, so completely unwilling to accept that they are not the strongest person in the world, and at the same time has enough power that within a certain context they're able to make that work. And in Uganda, for him for a little while, that was the case. He was able to, he had enough power within Uganda to make sure that no one in Uganda would challenge him, whether it be politically or in a swimming race. Yeah. But when it came to a wider, uh, when it came to wider battles, he he lost immediately. Uh, he he wasn't in power for very long. I think it was only it was less than ten years that he was the the leader of Uganda before his these exploits forced him out. Yeah, yeah. It's and it would be. I mean, we laugh. I mean, it would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. I believe three hundred thousand people, uh, you know, Ugandans were killed yeah. under his rule. So I mean, it is it is 
very unfortunate. But uh, yeah, and you mentioned the idea of of not realizing that you're not the best person around, or you don't realize you're the you're not the only person around. Yeah. But there are other good people out there, as right. it turns out, and uh, and maybe they are better than you are. Maybe they're you know, and just and the thing about to go back to that idea, the thing about pride is that. You're just focusing on yourself, and you could be focusing on how awesome you are. You could also be focusing on how bad you are, but the point is you're only ever seeing you, and that will, I think, blind you to other things, um, and and so I think it's it's notable that, that villains in movies, they often, they almost always lose in some way. Yeah. Um, and often, not always, but often they lose because they've overlooked something. Hmm. Um, they've neglected something, something they didn't think was going to be an issue. And chances are they didn't think that because they underestimated somebody else. Um, and so like, or, or, or yeah, underestimated, underestimated somebody else or overestimated themselves. And so you get um, movies like, and oddly, and oddly enough, I'm about to list movies that are often comedies. Um, you get like the character of Ray Bones in Get Shorty played by Dennis Farina, who is a bad guy. He, there's, there's a couple of villains in the film. He's a, he's a bad guy and he does some pretty awful things, but he is an idiot and, but he's a connected idiot. And so he seems to really overestimate how much people respect his power to the point where by the end, he's like, well, certainly nobody would double-cross me, right? And then he discovers that uh, he's not correct. Um, and you'll find the same with uh, the the criminals in The Lady Killers, both the old and the new one. I would re- recommend watching the old one with a uh, wonderful uh, Alec Guinness, um, who, I mean, you hear that idea of, like, there's no honor among thieves, and so there's, there's that. But, like, these are our characters who, they're all in it for themselves, and so they only so they only care about what they are able to get, and they fail to recognize, hey, maybe I'm in a situation where everybody else is also in it for themselves. Like they seem blind to that because they're only focused on what they are able to accomplish. That they fail to see that they could get hurt or killed by the people that they're in league with. Um, and then another example, okay, this was silly, is the Black Knight. From Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> it's silly, but it's the most obvious example of that. It yeah. is clear that he is not winning. Yeah. He's got no arms left. Yeah. <laughs> but he's pr- he's prideful enough that he feels like I'm I'm still gonna win. Yeah. I could still things could really turn around for me and I could uh, you know, bite your ankles or whatever. Right. Um and so those are some of the more, you know, amusing situations uh and characters. But you also get characters like Tony Camonti and Scarface. Or Tony Montana in the new Scarface. I recommend the older one. Um, characters who aren't that bright, but they've managed to gain some kind of power simply by having the will to do what other guys won't. Mm-hmm. I believe that's a quote from Usual Suspects. Um, they, they're willing to kill their rivals. They're willing to kill their friends. And so they, that's how they've gained their power. Not because they're brilliant at what they do. And so by the end, it's, you know, fairly well known that in both cases, they are, it's, it's a standoff. It's, 
Tony Montana Orcamonte by himself in his luxurious mansion as huge groups of people come in to take him. And he chooses to fight, failing to... I mean, he sh- he, I'm sure he knows, like, I'm probably going to lose, and I'm going to take as many of them down with me as I can. But it's literally like... And some would rather die than go to jail. I get that, too. But it's this idea of... of it, it blinds them to their own interests. Like, mm-hmm. some would say, well... He'd say, like, well, my interest... It's, it's in my best interest to not go to jail. Well, it's also in your best interest to stay alive. Yeah. But you're focusing more on on yourself and and is like well i'm i'm too powerful to go to jail i can't do that and so they wind up spoilers losing their lives yeah because they have a, a better idea of what it is they think they should have and this doesn't completely work as an example because neither of these are particularly villains in this film but it's kind of the difference in the godfather uh, mm-hmm. While we're talking about gangster movies, the difference between uh, Robert Duvall's character and James Caan's character. Like, Robert Duvall's still part of the, like, crime syndicate, right? Yeah. But, like, he's the smart, like, let's figure it out, let's play by the rules and, or, well, play by a certain set of rules yeah. and do what's smartest and get by. Whereas Sonny's the impulsive one and uh, think is thinking most times about himself, first and foremost, and um, what he can do. Yeah rather than what's going to happen if he just does what he thinks he can do. Yeah, and so it's notable that Sonny, which is James Conn's character, Sonny uh, sort of li- sort of his fate is very much a function of his nature. Yeah. Um, but I do want to move on now to some of the other things that, that I was talking about at the beginning of, of the episode. Um, starting with Sherlock Holmes. So the character of Moriarty, played by Jared Harris, and a really understated performance that I like in a movie that I think is okay. Um, it's interesting because he is, in many ways, smarter than Sherlock Holmes. He has more power, he has more money, and I think he's just smarter. And yet, Holmes gets Holmes beats him twice. Once when he manages to lift something out of uh, Moriarty's par- pocket. And the only way that he's able to do that is allowing himself to be tortured so that he can get close enough to Moriarty to take this thing out of his pocket. So that's one thing. And we don't realize until the end. The other is, in, in maybe my favorite sequence of the film, did you ever see the first Sherlock Holmes? I haven't seen okay. either of the Guy Ritchie ones. Um I like the first one quite a bit. The second one, I think, is good, not great. But throughout both films, we see Sherlock Holmes, and he, he is smart enough that like he'll get in a fight, and things will like really slow down, and then you'll hear his voiceover, and he starts to... He predicts how the fight will go, saying, like, he's going to do this, and then I will counter with this. And then, and then it speeds back up, and then that happens in the blink of an eye, and he has won. And so it's it's a fun sequence, and it, and it kind of explores this idea of Sherlock Holmes using his brain to inform his brawn. Hmm. Uh, and so there's a scene, it's the last scene of the film, so spoilers for Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. So, um, so what happens is Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty are talking, and a fight's probably going to happen. 
And so we see, so then it slows down and Sherlock Holmes starts to picture what's going to happen. And, and I remember thinking like, interesting that this is happening. It, you know, Moriarty's pretty smart too. And then you hear Moriarty's voiceover come in <laughs> and you see the slow motion fight happen with both both of their voices and they're not actually talking to each other it's the implication of anticipating what each other is going to do so you hear both of their internal monologue as dialogue Hmm. it's a really i think a really great moment especially because there's the payoff of moriarty can do this too Hmm. so i like that a lot and so and they're pretty evenly matched in in the fight but then Sherlock Holmes gains the upper hand and the way he does it, it's the same as with lifting the thing out of uh, Moriarty's pocket. He gains the upper hand by willing to sacrifice himself in some capacity. Mm -hmm. You know, I mentioned he was willing to allow himself to be tortured in order to get close enough to do that one thing. And then in, in this other case, I won't spoil what it is, but Holmes is it recognizes if I sacrifice myself or something of myself, then I can win and justice is served. Moriarty doesn't see either of them coming. And I think it's because of who he is. He is, it's about self-preservation. It's about choosing of this, choosing himself over everybody else. And so in, and so because he's very smart, he can anticipate everything that Sherlock Holmes does up until Sherlock Holmes is willing to do something different. He's willing to choose other people over himself. Yeah. And the minute he does that, Moriarty's clueless. He doesn't, he now cannot predict because he can't even imagine what that's like. Hmm. And so that causes his, you know, his downfall scheme to be foiled and all that kind of thing. Um, so there's that. And then, uh, Another example that I will give is from... I'll go back to Anakin Skywalker. So, by the time by the time Revenge of the Sith comes around, uh, he's now really just gone full-fledged into the... On, you know, over to the dark side. And he's fighting with Obi-Wan Kenobi at the end of the film. And Obi-Wan Kenobi has the higher ground. Um, and he knows that if the fight continues, he's going to win. And so he says to Anakin, he says, we need to stop fighting. I have the higher ground, which is, you know, a a line that is loaded with meaning from a moral sense. He has the high, he has the high ground. Um, And then Anakin responds with, you underestimate my power. And then he jumps up and proceeds to get two legs and an arm cut off. And to me, that is, that is the blindness. That is the stupidity that pride can, can cause Mm -hmm. is Obi-Wan cares for his friend and actually doesn't want something bad to happen to him. And all Anna can come back with, he doesn't see that his friend is trying to spare him. Mm -hmm. All he sees is this guy doesn't get it. Yeah. He doesn't get how awesome I am. Right. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go win this fight. Uh oh. Um, that Which it's was probably his that. next line. He gets his arms and his yeah. leg cut off. Uh oh. Oh no. <laughs> and so, I remember when I first I, that came out in 2005, and when I saw it, that 
always struck me as interesting. And I thought like, wow, I wish George Lucas had gone, done more of this. Because I, I remember thinking that is the nature of evil right there. Mm-hmm. It's so busy looking at itself constantly yeah. that it fails to see other people's motivations and it fails to see the writing on the wall. Yeah. And you get that with, you know, with, with Idi Amin as well, that he's so focused on what he's able to do and he's surrounded himself by yes men that like, it's almost, uh, you know, the idea of being a writer and, but only ever writing, only ever like showing your work to yourself and then being like, this is great. I'm amazing. I'm, I'm awesome. Yeah. And then you show the book to anybody else and they're like, this is terrible. It's like, what are you talking about? This is great. (laughs) Didn't you read it? And so that's the thing is like, we're talking about villains. We're talking about characters who do terrible things, but the idea of pride, it can cause all kinds of awful things in your life. It can, Mm -hmm. it can cause like, it can cause all kinds of woundings, uh, in your life. Even if it's just a friend saying this really isn't that good. Yeah. Um, and just the basic accountability and it's, and it's the accountability of trying to make you a better person or a better writer or a better leader or whatever. But if you're prideful, you will not take it that way. You'll either be way too insulted or you'll just dismiss their, their opinion outright. Um, and so I have a couple, uh, Bible verses to, to read and then we'll move on and we'll wrap up. Um, so the first is Proverbs 16 verses 18 through 19. Uh, and that is pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be low, uh, lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. That one I think speaks for itself. I'll throw in another one that actually isn't on my sheet here. Uh, Proverbs thirteen ten, where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Hmm. And that's something that uh, Anakin Skywalker was unwilling to do. Yeah. Hey, don't jump up here. No, I don't think I'm going to take that advice. Oh, no. Again, that's... Uh-oh. It's uh-oh. uh-oh I'm sorry. Um, and then uh, I'm going to go and I'm going to do one of the deep cuts here and uh, quote from Obadiah. <laughs> that's uh, Obadiah 1 verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? And I, I, I like that because it really does speak to just the, the blindness and like mm-hmm. the pride of your heart is deceive, has deceived you. The heart is deceitful above all things, Josh. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? Not me. <laughs> and so, and so um, doesn't, doesn't saying who can know it at the end sound like maybe it's a Jewish comedian's joke. Yeah. <laughs> like, ah, who can know it? it kind of has a Jackie Mason quality to go. it. Um, I'll throw in uh, Psalm 36 verses one and two. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. Hmm. And that is the na- that's the nature of pride. And and I know it's it, it I know it, it sounds like we're maybe bending over backwards to fit pride into a general discussion of movie villains. But I think that is at the core of everything. I think it is. I think most of these ones that we've talked about, it comes back to some sort of pride, whether it be pride thinking that you are more right than someone else, or mm-hmm. whether it be pride that you are more strong than someone else, or yeah. uh, or that you are smarter than someone else. A lot of the times, it, it, it goes back to that. Or if it's not that you're smarter or stronger or 
more righteous than another person specifically it might be that you're stronger than your your surroundings or that you're you're or you're um, smarter than god or something no. like that it's it's all uh self-focused i think yeah and you know i'll i'll quote lewis i'll i'll requote him pride is ruthless sleepless unsmiling concentration on the self and there's a there's a sermon I'll mention it now. There's a sermon by uh, Tim Keller that I absolutely love. It's been posted on the website, and it is about one of the most evil characters in the Bible named Haman. And uh, and the name of the sermon is the man the king delights to honor. And in that he uh, Keller talks a lot about pride, and he says pride is what made the devil the devil, the desire to be better than God, or or the the belief that you know more than God. Yeah. Um, and so. And he, Keller also says that uh, pride is the uh, carbon monoxide of sin because you never really know it. You never know that you've got it. Yeah. Whereas if you commit almost anything else, chances are you're like, mm, yeah, I don't think that was the right thing. Yeah. But the more prideful you are, the more blind you'll even be to those sins as well. And make yeah. it make, and it's okay for you. Yeah. Um, so I do have a rather long uh, quote here from, again, from C.S. Lewis. Um about pride and the idea of examining yourself, examining your motivations, and examining your relationship to God. To other people, certainly, but to God specifically. So I will read that, and then I think we'll wrap up. The very first step is to try to forget about the self altogether. Your real new self will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. By him, it means God, because it's capitalized. Does that sound strange? The same principle holds, you know, for more everyday matters. Even in social life, you will never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you are making. Even in literature and art, no man bothers about originality will... I'm sorry, no man who bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas if you simply try to tell the truth without caring two pence how often it has been told before, you will, nine times out of ten, become original without ever having noticed it. The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be, true, will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the end, in the long run, only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. And so I think, I think a lot of the characters that we've been describing, they are characters who have found, who've looked for like their own, their own goals and they've chosen themselves over everybody else. Mm -hmm. And they have found hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. Um, and so, you know, what we can learn from villains, though they're fun to watch and they're fun <laughs> to perform, um, what we can learn from them, the reason that we don't want to be them is because we just, because we recognize that we will lose ourselves yeah, and, and lose any semblance of humanity. And ultimately they are on the path to, uh, hatred, rage, ruin, uh, yeah. decay, etc. Yeah. So, um... So yeah, hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed this 
this uh, discussion. Hopefully you have plenty of movies you can go and watch now and keep an eye out for those villains. Um, and there are some villains that I know we, we all like a lot that we haven't gotten to touch on too much. So yeah. sorry if we didn't get your favorite villain. I know we didn't get to talk too much about some that both of us like a lot. So, yeah. But I, I feel like given this discussion, that can give informed discussions about whatever other uh, film villain right you are fascinated with yeah so um all right so as i said there probably aren't going to be a lot of updates for the next couple of weeks because i will be in new zealand um it's uh, it sounds like i'm going to be meeting a couple of you which is very exciting while i'm there um but yeah but in the meantime you can always go to more than one lesson.com you can read uh the new uh blog post by josh check them out check them out um and yeah, I think that's it right now. If you uh, enjoy the show, feel free to go into iTunes and write a nice review of it. Uh, if you have any questions for Josh or myself, you can email him at uh, josh at morethanonelesson.com. You can email me at tyler at morethanonelesson.com, and we will try to get back to you when we can. Um, yeah, and I think that's it. Oh, I'm sorry. You can follow Josh on Twitter. That's at the Josh Long. And you can follow me. That's at More Lessons. So, Josh, thank you for being here. Glad to be here. All right. And thank you all for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.